0: Welcome to Unshushed, a podcast for teachers, librarians, and lovers of YA. I'm Erin, an intermediate school librarian, and today I will be discussing Imaginary Girls by Nova Ren Suma. We have a special guest author joining us today. Hi, everyone. I'm Kylie Shakti.
1: I'm the author of the YA noir-ish mystery, You're Next. Um, so I'll be talking about that today, as well as Kim Johnson's This Is My America.
2: Hey, this is Darcy. I'm an intermediate school librarian and I'll be talking about the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson.
3: I am Laura Gladney Lemon. I'm a high school librarian and I'm going to be talking about The Cousins by Karen M. uh, McManus.
4: And I'm Mindy Hutt. I'm a high school librarian and I'm going to talk about All Eyes on Her by L.E. Flynn.
0: Okay. So since we have a guest author joining us today, Kylie, um, would you like to maybe give us a little summary of your next, and we can always, we can add our input and talk about what we thought about it. And then you can just give us a little insight into this story,
1: this murder mystery So your next is the story of Flora Calhoun, who is a 16-year-old private investigator. When she was younger, a freshman in high school, um, she went for a run one morning and discovered the pretty brutally mutilated um, body of a classmate. Um, and sort of sparked this obsession with finding the killer, criminal justice, all of that kind of stuff. Um, It's been a couple of years. That case has never really been solved. Um, And she sort of started this business working as a PI, solving fairly petty cases with the kids at her school. So, you know, cheating significant others, stolen laptops, that type of thing. Um, And then her kind of ex-girlfriend, kind of not, it's one of those complicated situations, is murdered. And that just sort of sparks again this obsession with getting it right this time, finding the killer. But the deeper she digs into that investigation, the more it uncovers this pretty nasty, tangled secret sort of lurking under the surface of her seemingly quiet, pristine small town, and finds that everybody within her school, within the community has sort of a reason to keep this secret. A secret. So she and her family are sort of in increasingly more danger as she, uh, you know, works to uncover who actually um, killed Ava McQueen.
2: I loved all of the secondary characters and I loved all of their reasons for
1: participating. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I spent a lot of time on kind of all of the different reasons why. So I don't think this is really a spoiler because the book is frequently pitched as like Riverdale meets Fight Club. Um, But the uh, sort of secret at the center of the mystery is that there is this underground Fight Club that a lot of the kids in her school and the surrounding communities are fighting in for cash. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about all of the different reasons why... um, you know, different teenagers would be beating each other up for money um, and wanting to use that as an opportunity to kind of like pull apart some of the class and race dynamics that were um, sort of going unspoken um, about in this town.
0: I got sure. to that part and was like, yes because <laughs> a, I love fight club and B, like, I love Chuck Palahniuk's books. And that like fight club is one of those books where if I encounter an adult who tells me they've never read a book, I'm like, you should read fight club. And so <laughs> that part came on. I mean, I was already intrigued with poor Flora. I was like, this is a teenager who's seen two dead bodies <laughs> so far yeah. in right. her life. And she doesn't have dad and her mom abandoned her and her sister hates her. And she, like, she's she hasn't exactly had the easiest of lives. And then all of a sudden she finds, you know, the, the West Grays thing. And I was like, Oh, oh well, this took an even darker turn. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't know. I-, I-, I liked it. I liked the picture that was painted for the whole like underground thing. And
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I think a few kind of early readers um, had sort of questioned how accurate it was. And like, first of all, I, I was, I think it should be fairly apparent to anybody reading this book. I was not striving for accuracy. I mean, she's a 16 year old private investigator for starters. But as I was sort of in the middle of drafting, a friend sent me a link to an article about high school students who had started an underground fight club and were um, all getting expelled because they were beating (laughs) each other up for money. So it's like, okay, this, this actually exists. It's plausible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) but I
1: love Olive too. You know, like I
2: loved her. I loved her uh, growth Their the change in their relationship throughout
1: the book too. Yeah, I really had struggled with her as a character and wanting her to feel sort of autonomous and separate and have kind of her own identity um, as a little sister rather than just being, you know, I think sometimes younger siblings in books can be sort of like this object that only exists to like be in peril and be rescued and whatever. And certainly some of that happens too. But um, something I do when I'm really struggling with a character is try and give them some like little very personal piece of myself as a way of kind of like finding my way into writing them. Um, So a lot of like Olive's tension around having to be like the good kid um, where like never getting in trouble because like Flora is always the one who's in danger fighting with her parents or whatever. Um, That was like very um, much a part of my younger adolescence, like when I was in elementary and middle school, got to high school and sort of that all blew up in everybody's faces and became much more like Flora. Um, but that sort of like tension of needing to be perfect all the time, needing to never mess up. That's like very much a thing that I gave to all of for me.
0: Well, you talked about like striving for accuracy and stuff. And and I feel like, in a, I guess in a lot of mysteries that involve a teenager who kind of puts themselves on the case, Every time I read one of those books, I'm like, okay, but you found this thing, go to the cops. (laughs) (laughs) But when you're that age, you don't always necessarily do the thing you're supposed to do or the thing that will be most helpful. Or, you know, when like she finds the, the, the missing diary page and it's got the address and stuff on it, obviously well, it's part of that is evidence, you know? um, But that's when she goes and finds this underground fight club. And it's like, you went there by yourself. And then I think, well, okay. Right. What kind of decisions did I always make when I was her age? Yeah. And right. they, they aren't always necessarily the most logic sound ones that I would make. But like as a grown up reading it, I'm like, come on, teenager. But <laughs> that's what you do when you're a teenager. So we're going for accuracy you know
4: my favorite character was the grandfather i thought he was so great he was so supportive the whole time but like at this he was struggling like letting her be her own person and let understanding that she has to part of being her is that she's gonna go out at night and she's being an investigator and all of that But at the same time, he's still trying to take care of her. And so he's trying to be, you know, a responsible adult in her life, but he still wants her to be her. So he's struggling with that. I really liked him.
1: Yeah, I think um, probably not in quite as an extreme way. I tried to, I'm not a parent, but I tried to like imbue that relationship a little bit with, I think some of the challenges I might run into in taking care of a teenager. Um, and that like, you know, I grew up with, um, I had a, I had a fair, my mom and I love each other and get along great now, but we had a fairly contentious relationship. I think as a lot of moms and daughters do in high school um, where I was, you know, very rebellious and she was not having that, you know, I think about what I might be like as a parent, I'm wanting to not be so restrictive or not have so many hard boundaries, give a kid a lot of room to grow that I think a lot of, you know, parents who are maybe my age or a little bit older are starting to run into those challenges now as their kids um, become teenagers of like not wanting to be the like super draconian disciplinarian, but still needing to take care of you and keep you safe. So I think that, that's very, that tension is very much a part of their relationship too, of like wanting to give you some room to explore this part of your identity that you're kind of figuring out and that I'm fundamentally like proud of you for, but also um, particularly in Flora's case of putting you in very real danger. And I think, semi spoiler, uh, by the end of the book, her relationship with her grandfather is really the only one that she hasn't totally obliterated and destroyed. And I think it's because both of them are very flawed, but are also very obviously showing up for each other and trying.
4: Yeah, that's what I liked. That. Well, his his background
2: is so necessary right? to to the his willingness to let her do what she's doing. So, I mean, good job on just like if he was a teacher, you know what I mean? He wouldn't have been like, right, go do that. That's fine. Just leave me a note <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> like. But because of his background, there's a definite understanding there with her need to do what she's doing. And I thought that part was very well written. I was very close to my grandfather. I loved that relationship as well. I thought that that was so moving. And like you can it also shows the hurt that she has over and over again that, you know, abandonment really that she's dealt with and how he keeps showing up is beautiful. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, as I was crafting a lot of the side characters, I was trying to think about, I mean, you run into a lot of logistical challenges when you have a 16 year old working a private investigation business of sure. just like how they're getting things done. And so I spent um, part of the process of coming up with a lot of the side characters is sort of calibrating them to fill in some of the gaps, either solve or create additional challenges for her in terms of her investigation. Um, so like, Having the Grandfather be, she thinks potentially ex CIA, unconfirmed, mm. um, created an opportunity to, you know, he can give her information or tools or access to things that she might not have had on her own. Um, Valentine, who's one of the love interests, uh, he originally I, I made him so I was like, well, she needs to have somebody maybe who's like some kind of muscle, essentially, who like, you know, can fight people or protect her whatever get her into places that she otherwise wouldn't have access to but I didn't want to just have like sort of standard um like fighter muscle guy who would just be like sort of toxic masculinity and uh, personified and so I wanted to give that a little bit of a twist and that's how um this is a little bit of a spoiler the um ballet dancer thing came into it um
3: just kind of a craft question about writing mystery because I think you're the first mystery author I've ever really had the opportunity to talk to and I always wonder like as a reader I feel like you must be under a tremendous amount of pressure to give away enough clues but not so many clues that we're gonna have it figured out halfway through or do you does it not really matter if some readers figure it out they figure it out and then they see how it came together is that something that you stress about writing a mystery or not really like what was that process like for you
1: yeah um so it's a funny question because i'm i Prior to this, I've, I've been kind of a writer my entire life. I've always been writing stories and trying to write books and whatever. And this is the first book I ever wrote all the way through to the end is your next. Um, and so and prior to this, I had never written a mystery or even been that particularly attracted to the genre before. It was more writing fantasy stuff, some contemporary like romance type stuff. And I just got this idea for Flora as a character and decided to run with it. And so I had to do kind of this crash course in mystery and mystery writing um, early on in drafting this because I really had no idea what I was doing. And so, yes, I I do think that like for me, as far as the reveal or the twist at the end um, for any mystery because I come to the genre not necessarily as like a diehard mystery reader, maybe I feel differently about this than other people do, but I was never that worried about making sure it was super shocking or something like that, but I did have a lot of fears about making sure it made sense. Um, Like I wanted, whether you guessed it or not, I wanted you to be able to sort of look back over the course of the rest of the book and be like, okay, I can see how all these pieces fit together. It's not this totally illogical out of left field thing. And I think that that really helped helped to alleviate some of the pressure around who the killer was, because I, my feeling was as long as you love Flora and you're kind of down for the ride with her, um, you're going to enjoy reading the book, regardless of whether it becomes as a huge shock at the end or not. So I I went through this mentorship program with Your Next, which is how it ultimately um, ended up finding an agent and then getting published. We actually ended up changing the killer entirely through the process of working with that mentor. Um, Wow. One of the things that we talked about, um, and I I won't give too many spoilers about who the killer actually is, but um, it had previously been somebody who is very removed from flora's life it was not somebody who she'd had a ton of like interaction within the community somebody who was very close to her sort of like personal sphere and because of that at the end when you found out who did it it just had no real gut punch to it um and to me that's what makes a reveal or a twist compelling is like you it it resonates with you emotionally um not because it's shocking or not because like oh my God, that person, I loved them. I can't believe that they did that, although that is one option. But because something about who the killer is reveals something about the essential nature of the story, the book, and the main character, Flora. Um, So without saying who the killer is, I think part of the reason why I chose that person is because they could sort of reflect and mirror parts of Flora's story back at her um, and part of her arc. Um, I think when you what I wrote that big climactic scene um, between that's the final face-off between her and the killer. There's a lot of sort of like action going on in there. Flora almost dies in that scene. Um, and that's all great. And it's like a nice set piece. That's fun to read and satisfying at the end of a mystery. But what's really happening there is sort of the conclusion of Flora's emotional arc, um, which is the opposite conclusion of the killer's emotional arc. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. Flora's story is really about learning to embrace her emotions and her trauma rather than run away from it. Um, You'll notice throughout the book when she is at her most sort of like resistant to tapping into her feelings and really um, embracing them, that's where she makes the most mistakes and gets stuff wrong. Um, The moments where she is empathetic and open and um, vulnerable, those are the places where she gets other people to open up, where she discovers new things. Um, And it's in that final scene, in addition to being kind of like this big action set piece, what really sort of solves the case and gets her the final piece of evidence that she needs is that she has this moment of catharsis, of grief and trauma. Um, And it's by experiencing that, that she's able to force the killer into a kind of confession. But the killer is the exact opposite. They have a sort of reverse arc with their emotions of kind of like further stepping away from their humanity. Um, And that's, I think, what makes that work more so than any of the little clues that I dropped along the way. But yes, I do have a picture of me from one of the early drafting phases where I had like laid out every single clue and scene on it each one got like a five by seven note card and i had them all spread out in my living room so i like look like a disaster my hair's a mess i'm wearing like a ratty falling apart t-shirt and i'm like playing twister with these different note cards like trying to swirl them around on the floor my foot's over there my hands over here um so yes i did lose my mind a little bit trying to kind of keep track of where everybody was and what all the like movement was that was happening off stage.
0: But just like in a movie when someone is trying to solve a crime and yes. they have their board with all their yes. pieces and right. yarn <laughs> strings. And I mean, I don't know if that's how that happens in real life, but that's what I see in movies and TV shows is I you hope know.
2: so. I hope it's a
0: lot of yarn.
1: <laughs>
2: a, lot of yarn and a lot
0: of yarn a lot of push pins <laughs> are going places and moving things around on maps. Yes.
1: Funny. Absolutely. Had
3: my
4: centering like, people. <laughs>
3: And if I were a listener at home and I'm curious myself, although I have no intention of ever writing a book, you said something in that answer that I thought was just really fascinating. Um, You said, you know, you've been an um, author or, you know, a a aspiring author of your life, um, but you didn't really know much about mystery. So you had to take this crash course and like really learn about it. How did you do that? Like, how did you figure out like, okay, I now want to craft a book about mystery. I've got a, like, what, what did you do? So um
1: I did kind of a deep dive on different elements of the genre. So I read all a lot of the like classics and for mystery there's sort of different phases of classics there's what's called the like golden age of mystery which is like your Agatha Christies and things like that. And then you have um like your noir era or hard-boiled era so that's like Raymond Chandler um, those types of authors Um, so I read kind of all the different waves of mystery um, to kind of like pick up on what all the tropes were I also watched a lot of like old mystery movies so I watched all the different waves of like mystery cinema Um, and then I also did went really deep on young adult mystery in particular so um, you know I read all the like big names that had been doing well there I read One of Us is Lying and, you know, E. Lockhart and all of those kinds of names. And then I also picked up, like, to me, I think once I had sort of that genre knowledge, one of the things that was most helpful was there's a book by, I think his name is James. It's either Fry or Frey. I think it's Fry, but it's spelled F-R-E-Y called how to write a damn good thriller um and that was like the single most useful craft uh good title explainer you know. um he's done a whole series of i think like spin-offs he i think he had original like how to write a damn good novel and then he did a bunch of genre options of that but the thriller one is the one that i read and that's actually where i got this sort of like note card trick um and he talked a lot about kind of understanding what was happening, um, not just with your main character, Uh, Like on camera, so to speak, on the page, Um, but also like the movement of everybody who is off stage at the time. um, Because this actually tracks with, as I was doing research for this story, I had a meeting with a detective um, to just kind of like pick their brain a little bit. And one of the things that they talked about is like, you know, say they're investigating any crime, could be a theft, a homicide, whatever, Um, you know, they have police officers canvassing the area, going and knocking on all the doors, finding, um, you know, whoever the suspects is, suspect is, uh, their, like, family and girlfriend and whatever, um, and asking them questions. And he said, one of the things that happens often is, like, you know, you go and talk to the suspect's mom or their best friend or whatever and they tell you they have no idea where the guy is and you leave that mom or the friend or whomever they call um you know the suspect and they're like hey the cops are here looking for you like what's going on and all of a sudden your suspect panics and they're like oh god i have to like go do something i have to run away i have to do something to cover up whatever the crime is those actions that you cause just by sort of like being in the community and talking to people have all kinds of ripple effects because they're going to ultimately end up making a mistake that ends up revealing them instead of covering them up further. And so that was really echoed in this craft book I read as well of like, you know, you have to know what people are doing off camera because as Flora is investigating, her choices are freaking other people out both the killer and other people who have a vested interest in keeping things a secret Um, and their choices are going to have a domino effect for the rest of her investigation both making drawing her closer to a conclusion and pushing her further away.
3: I said, thank you so much for that explanation. Oh, it was really helpful. Like I think for both listeners and me as a librarian, I'm definitely going to get that series um, to support my aspiring writers because we have so many aspiring writers in, I don't know if it's every school, but in this school we do.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely recommend it. It's a good one. Thank you. I do also want to just mention how much I love Cass.
2: Like she just kept showing up and I loved the moment where she stood up for herself as well, too. So I'm, gl- I'm glad that that part was included.
1: Yeah. Cass was um, probably the single hardest character right? I was editing her presence in the book more or less until I handed in the final version. I think we were doing copy edits and I said to my editor, I was like, just gotta make a few more changes to Cass. And she was like, I I think you can leave it alone. It's fine. I was (laughs) like, no, 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 it's not quite right yet. Um, So I definitely struggled the most with her. I think it was really important for me to get her right. I think this is something I struggled with in the book in general is like murder mysteries tend to be pretty fast paced. They're pretty singularly focused on the main plot, which is solving the mystery. I really wanted to have all of this kind of emotional stuff going on as well. And so having a whole arc of a relationship between two, I don't want to call it a toxic friendship between two girls, but I think a, difficult or challenged friendship between two girls. And getting into the nuances of that was like a whole extra beat I needed to add that people kept trying to get me to cut. And I was really emphatic about not doing it. Um, So I wanted her to really stand on her own as not just a sidekick, but having her own kind of agency and needs. And then I think that was particularly important to me because she's one of the few kind of like members of the main, main cast who is a character of color. And so wanting her to not just feel sort of like the comic relief or the sort of like side character for Florida bounce off of wanting her to have her own arc and autonomy as well.
2: Yeah. I, I just love the line where she's like, uh, she's talking about being a sidekick. She's like, I'm, I'm supposed to be your sidekick, you know, Like, <laughs> include me. I loved it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, that was sort of the unlocking piece of, her character, and it came fairly late in edits, uh, was that she had just as much sort of belief and drive for the same kind of like righteousness and ambition. The reason why she was she's in this with Flora is not because she wants to be a sidekick or not because she's Flora's best friend and she's just sort of along for the ride. She really cares about this stuff too. And so um for as much as she shows up for Flora, as much as she has sort of she feels like she's proven herself to be um, you know, just as valid and just as um, kind of driven and caring as Flora is about these cases, it's really offensive to her that Flora t- continues to shut her out or, or not use her, um, include her in things because like, isn't her sort of drive to solve this just as important as Flora's is.
2: Katrina, did you wanna, yeah,
1: go ahead.
5: <laughs> okay, yeah, so I first I have to apologize for doing a reply all yesterday, but um,
1: At least you like the book.
5: I actually did. And so, you know, with this group, they really challenged me to read more things than I normally would. And so, mystery is right above historical fiction and what I usually choose to read, which is historical fiction is the bottom. But, um, and usually I come on here and I say, oh, it took me like 20, 30 pages or 100 pages to get into the book. No, within like five pages, I was hooked and I couldn't put it down. And I repeated and I told um, Darcy, I was like, Oh my gosh, if you read it, it's so good. Oh my gosh. You're never going to believe what happens. I I can't stop reading it. It's in my bag right now. I'm going to read it in the car on the, you know? And so the whole time though, I watched Veronica Mars when it was out and when it did the reboot, I watched it and that's who I saw in my mind as this kind of spunky person, but a little, I I felt like she was a little damaged too. And I I loved all the different characters that you put in here and everything you've said so far and so this was so much fun and I have my kids were watching me read this at school and seeing me gasp and going what and they're like what are you reading and then somebody asked me yesterday did you finish that book I said yeah I did can I have it I said can I give it to you tomorrow (laughs) after I after I get to meet the author she says need it yes
1: (laughs) oh thank you that means so much to hear um yeah I think I had actually so I started drafting um the very first version of your next in late 2014. I had actually never seen Veronica Mars at that point. And I kept talking about this book that I was writing and everybody kept recommending the show to me. And so finally I was like, okay, I have to watch this. And now I've probably seen it like dozens of times. (laughs) It's a like all time favorite of mine now, obviously. And so, um, yeah, I think I I take a lot of inspiration from Veronica pretty obviously in the book. Um, And so uh, I take that as a high compliment.
0: I just like to be right when I read a mystery. Like I like to be right. And (laughs) when I'm reading one, I'm always like, is this what the author wants me to think is really going on? But it's not. Is this a ruse? Am I being deceived? (laughs) That's what my brain does the entire time. So when I select one, I'm like, I got to nail this. (laughs) And then I don't read one again for a while. But I like right? I'm not telling you that. Oh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I want to be wrong, and I—that's—that's that's strange for me because I am definitely. One yeah, of this is shocking like, <laughs> to be like right yes. every time, uh, but I want to be shocked in the end. Yes, and I want to go
5: back. Yeah, and go. Yeah, and, and wait, I want to go
2: back and find the pieces a, a, where yes. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah,
5: and I, and I think this one did that. This I one agree. Did that. Yeah, I, is not who I expected, and then when I went back, I, I pieced some things together. Oh, I missed that, man. Yeah.
1: Well, that makes me really happy to hear. Um, yeah, like I think I was saying before, um, I, I I don't, when I read mysteries, I don't particularly care that much about like the puzzle of it. Um, but I do know that that is something that a lot of um, mystery readers do care about. And so I wanted to kind of like pay my respects to that, but then also create kind of like this fun, like I was saying before, I think regardless of whether you're right or wrong about it you like hopefully love flora and are down to just kind of like chill with her um but uh yeah i think um wanted to make it so that like you were saying you could go back and look over the pieces and see all the little things that you missed but it's not so left field that it's just like shocking for shock value sake either and that's kind of i think the tricky balance to pull
2: Well, you did that well, but I I have to say at the end when I was reading the uh, very uh, last, (laughs) well, I think Katrina maybe has something else she's thinking about, but I was thinking about like at the end though, like the way that you left it open.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I'm reading it and I'm thinking there has to be a second book.
1: I really hope so. Um, So I had originally written the book, um, you know, intending it to be, at least the first of two, and then hopefully the first in the series. Um, I think I um, really had no idea how publishing works at the time. And so I really hope that I will get the chance to write the sequel. It's definitely something that has been discussed with the powers that be. Um, So hopefully enough people read the book and buy the book and like the book. Um, And that includes, by the way, like um, not just buying the book, but like checking it out from the library that counts, that always helps authors as well. Yeah, I think we're uh, under discussion, but I definitely have plans for what the second book would be if I do get the chance to write it. Um, so, going to just continue needling my publisher about it and be like, "Go get you some more you note cards." Know. That's yes, right, exactly.
0: Go buy a new second note cards.
1: But uh, yes, I did end it that way for a reason. There is definitely like more to the story. Um,
2: I would definitely say. The, this is a, a high school book, but also a book that I will keep in my office that I can hand to <laughs> particular students, only because of the language. So, like, we have to have, you know, certain amount of critiques that support it being in whatever area. My students would love this story, though. So I know that I'm going to have it in my office and be like, here, read this, uh, I because I think that it's it's one of those, like – they can see themselves enough in it and they can imagine the situation and being a part of something like that. If not Flora, then one of the other characters for sure.
5: See the reviews from School Library Journal is grades seven to 10. Oh, okay. English was weekly is 12 and up. And then Kirkus though was 14 and up. And then Booklist was grades nine through 12. So there's a variety, but I think we definitely have wiggle room. And I think it's one of those, to me, the, the actual, the violence was more jarring, but I still, I think I'm going to give it to students today. (laughs) It's my personal book that I bought, but I'm going to share it with the kid. I know that will mean a lot, but um, she, you said something really interesting about checkouts from libraries. So Mm -hmm. you guys get that information from public Um,
1: no, I don't have access to no, you know, number of checkouts or anything like that. I just mean, I think a lot of, so obviously, like, everybody knows probably, like, the most direct way to support an author is to buy the book. Um, but I think a lot of people don't realize that it's actually really helpful for authors to have people check it out, to request it at their library, to ask their library to buy it, whether it's a school library or a local library. Um, those sales do count towards, you know, gotcha, author yeah. royalties and all that type of stuff, too. But it also just shows kind of, like, um, huge amount of interest as well for the publisher, you know, how many people are reading the book. So I can't see checkouts, but I do think my publisher at least has access to like how many library copies are in circulation. Oh,
3: that's cool. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. You could probably find that out for public libraries and academic libraries by going to worldcat.org, um, and searching for the book. And then it'll list all of the libraries that have it based By your zip code closest to furthest from you. Now, school libraries don't like our our grouping doesn't really participate in that. But for public and academic libraries, um, that information is definitely available and is super useful when you have somebody who comes and says, hey, I really want to read your book. And then, of course, my copy is already checked out. You can hop onto WorldCat and be like, oh, well, they don't have it at Helen Hall, but they do have it down the street at Harris County and, you know, get people books in their hands. I- I'm really talking to the librarians that are listening. Okay. Right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really telling you this. I'm, I'm just <laughs> okay. doing a pro for, you know, I feel like our, our talkers are, uh, I mean, almost a lot of our listeners our talk- are librarians. Talkers. That's how I do it. And it's super helpful. But if you do want to know what public and academic libraries, have your book, (laughs) worldcat.org.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I mean, I say that too, because I think a lot of times people are like, Oh, I'd love to support this author. I'd love to, you know, buy this book or whatever. Um, But, you know, if I ha- only had the money to buy every book that I wanted to buy, um, like, that would be lovely. But I obviously that's not a real reality for most of us. Um, and so I say that just because I think people don't realize that you can actually do a lot to support your favorite author um, by patronizing libraries and things like that as well.
0: Have a podcast for them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you also brought or prepared uh, a little bit about another book that we actually discussed in our podcast. So we'd love to hear your take on it, Kylie.
1: Yeah, um so the book that I wanted to talk about is this is my this is my America by Kim Johnson, um which I think often we talk about in or I've often heard talk about as like an issue book or um you know being more about these like serious racial justice themes which obviously it is. Um we talk about but, a lot of
0: those. <laughs> we do.
1: Right. Um, and I think totally deservedly so. And I know um, Kim a little bit, and I think that she would probably, you know, advocate for it to be talked about in that way. Um, but uh, I think at its core is also really a, a mystery or a thriller. Um, and I, I contend that the main character Tracy and Flora would like get along and be friends with each other. Um, but uh, yeah, I think even though it is sort of this bigger picture exploration of race and criminal justice and sort of like intergenerational racial trauma, It is also a story that is a murder mystery. It has this really fast um, kind of propulsive pace to it where you can't put it down and you're sort of flipping the pages, trying to figure out what happened. Um, I did a Instagram live conversation with Kim a while back and she, first of all, is like a super brilliant genius person. Um, And she and I were talking about this and she had this really fascinating point to make about how in a way, racial trauma or racial violence is its own kind of like whodunit in American history of like trying to sort of untangle the threads of injustice that have been passed down from generations because so often the real stories of inequality get erased from history books. You think about something like the um, Tulsa massacre, which I think a lot of people like just learned about for the first time in the last couple of years, um, because it's been so thoroughly expunged from history books. We don't teach it. And that's its own kind of like murder mystery in a way to unravel of like these crimes that have happened throughout American history and the roots that they have across generations, um, which I just thought was like the most fascinating point. So if you want a book that gets into some of these really serious themes, it's great for that. But I think people should also pick it up as this kind of like fast paced thriller camp at a downstamp dance, dance, all night type of book as well um which by the way for people who aren't familiar with it it's the story of Tracy Beaumont who uh is a high school girl she's black um and she her father is in prison for um you know a, a crime that occurred long ago that he was accused of um and now when a girl a white girl in her community is murdered her brother who is uh superstar athlete you know heading off into this big future big great future um he is accused of killing her and so she's trying to sort of untangle the threads of what happened to her brother what happened to her father um you know taking this investigation onto her own plate because she's not you know confident that anybody else is going to solve it if she won't so highly recommend
3: yeah i i read this book and i gave it i think the highest recommendation of any book this season um I think I said it should win the Prince Award book for the year. I mean, I think it's the best book I've read all year. Um, no offense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> None taken, seriously. But, like I, said, I mean, him is a genius. But what's incredible is, and you, when you hit on this, is that there's not just one really fast-paced murder going on, or mystery. There are two mysteries in this book that are being solved and investigated at the same time, all while talking about a a real problem of, well, several real problems in the justice system of wrongful convictions, and also the lack of economic ability for people to do appeals unless they can get help from an outside organization, which is very hard to do. No, I agree 100%. I found both mysteries going on to be compelling at the same time. And I loved that it also had a, um, You know, it had a lot of important points that I don't know that's a part of like just everyday conversation that we're talking about. Even people who are talking about uh, racial justice, I don't know that day-to-day we're talking about wrongful convictions. So I really loved that she opened the door up on that. Although there was another book that did talk about racial, um, I'm sorry, wrongful convictions uh, that came out punching the air right after it so I was really happy that those two which I also thought was excellent um, to pair those together although punching there is not a mystery
2: it, well and just mercy and they had
0: the the kids version of just mercy mercy as well yeah so Our eighth I think- grade gifted <clears throat> classes are <throat> reading like novels right now or books right now and one of the titles that I suggested to the teacher is the young readers version of just mercy the conversations that these kids are having because once a week they're coming in the library and doing their little book clubs for it they're giving me a little bit of like hope for hope. the future <laughs> and, um I mean again these are like my eighth graders at the end of the year you know but some of the conversations that just mercy is bringing up in their discussion groups is phenomenal I love well,
2: it. Well, I I love too, like Netflix put out thirteenth, a documentary that really talks about how our history as a nation has played into what is perceived as a black person's problem. And it is it is not a black person's problem. You know, it's it's what our government has done and continues to do systemically that has resulted in, you know, where we are today. Absolutely. It, I appreciate any book that broaches any of these subjects that maybe makes someone who doesn't have a vested interest in understanding it, maybe question their understanding or look at it from a a different perspective. Uh, So thank you for bringing that book to us as well. As I mentioned, we, you know, we've discussed it before, but I love your take on it. And I love your insight uh, from the author as well.
1: Yeah, I think, oh, go ahead. I think um, somebody mentioned too like how powerful it is that it gets into a topic with you know racial justice feels I think like such a huge topic because it, it permeates so much of our life our culture it's in everything um, that's why I think it's so powerful to have a book that gets into like a super specific part of it like wrongful convictions that I think mm-hmm. somebody said before like we're not necessarily talking about every day um, so I have a background as an educator and I think um, working with young people I too often have you know felt a little bit a tiny bit of hope for the future um, and I think something that has always really struck me working with high school students, with middle school students is, um, you know, they're so open and passionate about a lot of these kind of like social justice issues. But and I think a lot of the narrative about Gen Z that we see out there in the media is like you know they are super politically aware and active and engaged and I think that's true to an extent but they're also still learning and often don't have the language and the specifics to talk about things they know how much they care about this stuff but don't have you know the years of experience of being able to point to like this example and this you know trial or shooting or whatever that they lived through that they watched happen in front of them and so being able to hand them a book that gets in it from a narrative way into some a really specific corner of this, rather than just throwing the whole big, broad issue of racial justice at them wholesale, I think is a a good way to give both kids and obviously adults as well, um, kind of tools to talk about this in a way that feels more specific and more human. Um, And I think that's how ultimately people make change. Absolutely.
2: And I think, you know, they're, they're having to figure out what they believe personally and how those things may differ from what their parents believe and providing them with, you know, some background that has expanded their knowledge and their horizons and could be a tool that they keep in like even in their own bag, right, to help them to continue to move in the direction that they want to move, regardless of if that's the direction their parents are moving. So I think that's fantastic for
1: kids as well. And Tracy is such a like phenomenal narrator. I mean, she's so fun. Her voice is so good in that book. Um, She's so sort of like sharp and snarky and a little bit rough around the edges in a way that I, obviously, if you've read Flora, uh, obviously really gravitate towards. And so I think that that makes something that is otherwise a very serious and often very painful topic feel still like a pleasure to read um, because she's such a enjoyable character to get to spend time with.
2: OK, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and talk about the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson, and I'm trying something different than I've ever done, which is talk about three whole books at one time. As I've been thinking about how I'm going to broach this, it's been really important to me that I don't give any spoilers because there are things that happen at the beginning, like if I were to go into detail in the second book, I've given away something from the first book, and I definitely don't want to do that. So I'm going to do a very broad overview. Basically, this is about well, it's two stories going on, which is kind of uh, reminiscent of what you were just talking about, Kylie. So there's two two different stories going on, two different time periods. This takes place at Ellingham Ellingham Academy, which is a private school in Vermont. It was designed for like the brightest thinkers, these inventors, really creative kids. And it was brought together by Albert Ellingham, who is like this huge tycoon of the early 20th century. And he's living there on the campus with the students uh, in the main house. And shortly after the schools opened, his wife and daughter are kidnapped. And the only note that they have, or the only clue that they have is this riddle It's kind of written in a mocking tone because uh, Albert Ellingham was known for figuring out puzzles and being really into riddles and that kind of stuff. So these kidnappers have developed this riddle that he's supposed to figure out in order to get his daughter and wife back. And then the second storyline is about a true crime loving student, Stevie Bell. She has been invited to be a student at Ellingham Academy. And she is a bit out of her normal group, right? Or the normal group that's up there. However, because she's so into true crime, she kind of fits in because that's her her niche, right? So that's what she's really into. So while she's there, there is a bit of a return of this truly devious group. So the truly devious is how the riddle is signed off. And so they have come back, To the academy while Stevie Bell's there. And her whole goal while there at the school is to solve this cold case of the kidnapping of the wife and daughter. So you have these two storylines going on and they are beautifully intertwined and pieces from the old story are coming to light in the new story. And some of the clues that you're getting from the new story are helping you to better understand the old story. Uh, I do love the way that those are written. And throughout the novels, all three of them, uh, you have these two time periods, these two two stories intersecting. I do love that it's very fast-paced in the critical parts but there's also like this kind of leisurely read in between those parts which I think is good because it could be a little wearing to just the whole time uh, be on your toes and I loved the description of Ellingham Academy the thought behind that I love all the twists and turns that Maureen Johnson has put into the story there are parts that you are not surprised by, which is great. And then there are other parts that come up that you are you have no idea that that was coming. But again, when you go back and you look, you can see how there were these little pieces put out there that you could have picked up on. And there are tons of characters to love and to loathe. There is a good mix of people that, you may decide that you really like and you want more of them and then there's some that you're like that person is horrible and she kind of Stevie Bell in the current she she finds some really hard to love people and has a go at it. <laughs> so I, I do like that. Now, interestingly, there's a book four that is kind of a standalone novel that's been added. It's called The Box in the Woods, and it follows Stevie Bell on a new murder mystery, but that is no longer connected with Ellingham Academy. So the first three books in the series are Truly Devious, The Vanishing Stare, and then The Hand on the Wall is the last of that trilogy that deals with Ellingham Academy. And then again, there's a fourth book, The Box in the woods that continues on with Stevie Bell I just saw that one and I was like how did I miss that well it came out April 27th so I don't feel so bad well you didn't Uh, miss it it, last week (laughs) (laughs) so uh I you know what I'll pick up that fourth book because she's a compelling character and I appreciate that she is so dead set on solving this mystery and I think she's also like 16 as well and she is given access to some information because of Ellingham Academy's dedication to letting each individual student shine in their own individual thing. And just because her, her thing is true crime, they're like, okay, we're going to make all of these things available to you, which was a pretty cool idea about a school and about this, this individual kid.
0: Hey, Darcy, I own this book, but I haven't Mm -hmm. read it because I think every single one of us owns books that we just haven't gotten around to. I mean, that's, you know, you buy five books and you read one of them and then you buy five more. Do you have to read all of them? Because, you know, I'm a series quitter.
2: So (laughs) I will say this. (laughs) Let me let me warn you, because when I picked up the first book, I was loving it and I got to the end and it was a cliffhanger.
4: Like,
2: yeah. Okay. No, so I was mad. I'm gonna have to, like, like at the end, I was dedicate. like, dang it. You know, and and I was very lucky that Shirley had the second book uh on her shelf. So and I didn't know when I picked it up that it was going to be a part of a series. I didn't investigate all of that obviously (laughs) I'm not a you like (laughs) that okay um anyway so I ran over to Clear Lake High School because it was like a five minute drive from here grabbed the book and I looked to the end to see if it was a cliffhanger (laughs) and it didn't look like it was going to be okay I was like yes like I'm gonna get some like the clothes of this one store yes I need a little something okay well I got to the end of it and I'll be damned if it wasn't a cliffhanger (laughs) So uh, I was pretty mad about that because the third book was not out yet. Oh, so I was upset and I think rightfully so. Like, tell me it's a cliffhanger to begin with anyway. So uh, but it took a while. And then I finally got the third book. And it wasn't too, I, I have to give Maureen Johnson credit because it was not long between publications of books. So I'm sure she already had the series all done and it was her publisher that's like, "We'll do, we'll just separate these by six months or whatever. Yeah, so it didn't take me very long to get it. And I was, I'm glad with how it ended. I could see myself reading another book with one of those characters.
0: Okay, well, maybe since all of them are out this summer, I can power through all three on the beach, yeah. In the you know, I don't, I don't.
2: I think as I'm getting older, I don't like cliffhangers as much. Like they just irritate me. Like I, I like a little something left, right. Like Kylie, you, you finished this story, right? And then you left like a ribbon where you could like, okay, we're gonna pick that back up and go on to the a, a yarn, if you will. <laughs> anyway, that you can one could yarn pick and up one pin. That's right, and one pushpin. I appreciate that. I think that was like Harry Potter. I felt like when I finished a book, like, okay, that book's done. And then we know it's going to go on. And there's, you know, there's obviously this bigger issue, but we've taken care of this one particular issue. And I appreciate that. And I felt like with this one, it was just left so open. Like I did not feel like I finished a book. Like I finished a chapter and was ready for the next one. So good. All three books.
1: <laughs> it's hard. I think publishing is so slow. It's such a long time often between releases. I mean, even six months. And I, I read so much that I have the best intentions of reading the second book or the third book. But by the time it comes out and I've picked it up, it's like I've completely forgotten everything that happened in the first book. Yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on having things be sort of standalone with maybe a little something extra at the end. I felt that
2: way with uh, Scythe with yeah. Scythe. I was like, come on, man. Like, I need mean, <laughs> or, or Laurie Hall Sanderson. I, I will never get over her Seeds of America trilogy because she was the, the wait. She I was like tweeting her, like, are we, are you kidding? Like, can we not finish this one trilogy? Like, I think it was seven years between the first book and the third book. And I, I had to reread the first two books. Of course, I fell back in love with them or whatever. And I was happy to have read, reread them. But come on now, we got to do
3: better. <laughs> so from a librarian point of view, I have not read this. However, Carol, who works here uh, with me in the library has read it and she recommends it all of the time. And it's really? always a successful recommendation. Like 100% kids bring this back and they're like, and it's usually the kids are like, I don't know what I want to read. Maybe mm-hmm. a mystery. And Carol's like, right. Oh, truly devious. And I'm like, um, so I haven't read it yet for two reasons. One, because I try to read things Carol hasn't read. And also two, I mm-hmm. really try not to read anything until the series is done, but I may, it's kind of, I think I may go back and read it just because it has such success with students here. So for what that's worth, we, we own a couple copies of it and they're always fun. Mm-hmm.
2: I think too, like my kids, they'll try to pick up the second book. I'm like, no, no, put that down. I was like, you have to read the first book. And I'm like, you are not going to start the second book of this series and be like, eh, it's all right. No, read the first book. Then you'll get to the second. Then you'd be like, oh, it's good. You know, so got like yeah. a
1: fun, um, Westing game vibe to yeah. it. Um, yeah. that's how I felt reading it, which that was like my first beloved mystery, um, so if that's a compelling uh, reason to read for anybody
2: that I think it is, I think a lot of kids, uh, well, maybe people a little bit older yeah, uh, than our students, like know the Westing game. Like I remember reading that in junior sure. high and loving it. Oh, but so, so you've read it as well. Kylie, did you think that yes. was a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I, I was, I think, the I can't remember which books were out when I was doing research for your next, but that was part of my kind of like deep dive into mm-hmm. YA mystery. um And yeah, like super fun. I mean, who doesn't love a kind of like boarding school, mad millionaire, um, eccentric kidnapping right. type of story? Yeah, <laughs> it's got a lot of fun stuff in it. It sure does.
2: GL, what did? Oh, Aaron, what did you read?
0: Okay, so I'm going to talk today about Imaginary Girls by Nova Rensuma. And so fun fact, when I was looking up information about the author, she mentions on TeachingBooks.net that she knows her name is Nova and it is a very hippie name and that her mother went to Woodstock and she grew up in Woodstock, surrounded by a bunch of other kids who had super hippie clearly my parents went to Woodstock names so probably a lot of novas and flowers and you know names like that summer yeah I thought that was really fun okay so this is a book that's really hard to talk about without giving too much away kind of thing so I'm going to describe it as like there's murder but I'm going to also say that it's like a supernatural thriller Um, and when I was re-looking up my Goodreads review I did see because Laura's my friend on Goodreads that she read it too Okay, so the only things that I can really say about it is it follows main characters, Chloe. And Chloe basically like uh, discovers the dead body of London, a girl in their town. She moves away for a couple of years and then she comes back. And when Chloe comes back to the town that she's from, um, her sister Ruby, who's a few years older than her, Ruby like is the queen bee of this town. She seems to just, like Ruby gets what she wants. Ruby says it's gonna happen and people do it including London, who is supposed to be dead and doesn't seem to know that she's dead. And so Chloe is pretty confused by this. And so earlier when I was like, Oh, I like to be right in a mystery. This one kind of that almost paranormally supernaturally like, okay, but she died. How is she still existing? That really threw a wrench in me trying to figure out exactly what happened and what is going on because I think when you throw away the realistic fiction aspect of it, Almost anything could happen. It was a page turner. I listened to it. So it was a page turner. Um, but I, I listened to it in audiobook. And I think I've mentioned on this podcast before like when I go running, I listen to books. And so it was, it turned into one of those days where I just like exercised for longer than my body really wanted to because I was like, but I need to keep listening and figuring out what's going to happen in here. I, there's, that's really all I can say about it without, I don't know, Laura, do you have anything to add? It was really good. And I hate to give such a poor description of a book, but it's one of those, like, but eh, if you say more than the things that happen at the beginning, then you're, you're telling too this much. This
2: is the problem with mystery. Mysteries, right. <laughs> yes. And that
0: is why I struggle to talk about them. It's like, oh, here's these two sentences, but that's all you get. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um I actually looked it up um and I have it in our paranormal um section, not in our mystery section. Where where did you decide to put it in your library? Do you know? Oh, I don't have it in my library. I think it's oh, nice right. school books. Yeah, but, I have it in paranormal and maybe it would circulate better in mystery, but it's really such a different miss you're really right. And I agree um that this is absolutely the problem with mystery books, but I liked it. I really like the author. The ending was
0: A teeny tiny bit of a letdown, but maybe it's just because again I get hyper focused on what I want to happen. (laughs) Right, I'm like, no, this is what I wanted to happen at the end of the book. And the author not follow directions, (laughs) right? She did not get my memos and my notes. (laughs) Um, So, but be a first reader and tell her, you know, I know it. It was good though, and it was different. And I think that's what I really, really liked about it. It was just a very unique, different, original storyline again, I'm obsessed with covers and the cover is very, very beautiful. It involves some water and a drowning and it's got like this watery flowy girl in a white dress with a lot of red on it. And the cover is very intriguing too. Even though you never look at the cover when you are doing the audio book, the cover is still what led me to check it out on Sora and start listening to it. So,
1: Another book, um, The Walls Around Us, that is kind of in a similar vein. That's also very good. Um, Same kind of like paranormal um almost like surrealist magical realism kind of mystery
3: cool and that actually is by her by the same author (laughs) well laura you read the cousins Mm -hmm. I've actually read a bunch of mysteries in the last month, um, but I want to talk about The Cousins. It is by Karen M. uh, McManus, and I really enjoyed this. So we've talked a lot about um, did I get it? Did we get it right or not get this right? Her previous book, uh, which she's super famous for, is One of Us is Lying. Um, And when I read that book, I absolutely got it dead on. I knew what happened several chapters before? Oh, the end. I
0: didn't. I was wrong about that one. I, I got it, which huh. is, you know. Maybe I'm not good at mysteries.
3: <laughs> no, no, I just, maybe that just was my mystery. Um, but this book, I did not get. Like, the very, you know, at the very end, I was like, whoa. okay and it really was such a twist that I had to really go back and rethink through the whole book and really like check in my mind does that work does that work does that work and it did um so from a craft point of view I'm super I loved it so basically the story is about cousins there are three of them Miley Aubrey and Jonah and they don't really know their grandma they never met their grandma and they haven't seen each other since they were little and the reason they don't know their grandmother um is because Mildred's Story is their grandmother super rich she owns this like private island that's like a resort it's called Gold Cove Island it's off of um in Massachusetts and She's rich, and she's gonna die, and not that long from now. And she's has a lot of money, and so okay. all of a sudden, Wait, on the- can
4: can I can I interrupt? So I I read or I listened to the book this part, and I couldn't get past that because the cousins didn't seem very interesting. They were just like rich, and they were going to an island. Did the cousins get more interesting, or the were those cousins the the? characters really grab you after that
3: well I mean we got to know them so did you not finish it do you started no, it? No, then... I couldn't get into it past that. Yeah. So it is really interesting. I think um, the cousins are pretty much living like a middle-class lifestyle, respectively, maybe upper middle-class lifestyle. And they weren't excited when they what got this letter. Basically, they got a letter from the grandma that said, you know, please come and join me this summer <laughs> and work at my resort. Uh, and so maybe they were a little turned off that grandma's making them work and you know like it's a job offer it's kind of weird but yes we definitely did get to know the cousins so all three of the cousins definitely did show up but begrudgingly Um, and really they were doing it because their parents I think had some unsettled business with the grandma and also I might've mentioned she's rich and they have all been disinherited back um, in the nineties. Each of the siblings got a letter that said, all it said was, you know, what you did to each sibling, but it wasn't like exactly clear what that was. So the cousins, as once they show up on the Island, they realize that the grandma really is acting bizarre. She like invited him there and then she doesn't make any plans to meet them. And in fact, seems kind of surprised that they're there and they are staying and working, but grandma's making like no real attempt um, to get to know them, except for finally they get to have a formal meeting with her. Um, It's weird. But through this, we do get to know the cousins. And the other thing that we get to know about is all the family secrets that might be the answer to you know what you did um so a lot of dirty laundry is aired out about all of their parents which you know clearly they had no clue about and they did well some of them did you think so
0: i don't know if it's dirty laundry someone else knew about it it's not just grandma right
3: (laughs) right i mean they knew some but like they definitely learned a lot about their parents that they weren't necessarily expecting to learn. And some of it would honestly be pretty hard stuff to learn about your parents. But anyway, so they are learning about each other and finally they are able to put the story together. Um, I And again, I can't really say more than that, um, but I did find it to be compelling. I really liked all three cousins. I liked the relationship that the cousins had with each other and how they grew throughout the book and changed throughout the book. And it was a really good story. So I really enjoyed it. I was totally thrown off at the end. I recommend it. It's not, you know, um, it doesn't also have like deep social meaning to it or anything like that. It was just a really good fun read.
0: I loved one of us is lying and one of us is next mysteriously. I cannot keep that either one of those books on my shelf. Like they keep not getting returned. So I don't know what that means. Those books never came back after we didn't return in the spring. So I have been missing those books for a long time. During the beginning of the pandemic, I read Two Can Keep a Secret, which was good also by her. So I think this may be her only book that I haven't gotten around to reading yet. I guess- As soon as we're done with this, I'm, as I always do, going to go see how long the wait list is uh, through either a public library or Sora, because I think we have it on that and decide, do I want to read it with my eyes or my ears? Because I like the way she unravels a story. I think she does a really good job of it.
4: Yeah. I think I'm going to have to pick it back up, Jill, because I couldn't get past the cousins. Like just the meeting the cousins, I was like um I don't really like you guys by um and I you did not like listening. any of them no I was like I don't no one had a redeeming y'all are y'all I are not understand. that cool
3: and, and like the other thing is I think this is a good thing but I think it is hard as a reader when I pick up a book and it's told from multiple perspectives so this book was told One chapter was one cousin. The next chapter was the next cousin. The next chapter was the next cousin. And at the beginning of books for me, it's hard for me to like, latch on to that book because I just feel like instead of like going through one opening I'm having to go through in this case three openings in fact for the book that you're about to talk about Mindy I actually struggled yeah. with it all the way through this fortunately only had three perspectives to have to keep up with um but I think that that could have been part of the problem too and I admit that like none of the cousins seemed overly money motivated which is kind of weird because basically people are pretty money motivated
4: um <laughs> well, but, but I still enjoyed it it was better because if they were money hungry that probably would have set a different tone probably but yeah so for my book can I go ahead and talk about my book is that good yeah okay so um my book is all eyes on her with Ellie Flynn and um GL's right it changes different people throughout the book different perspectives it never talks straight from tabby but it's always talking about the one girl tabby who has a supposed perfect boyfriend named mark and they both went into the woods um somehow we don't know how it's the mystery um he is found at the bottom of the cliff And she is back at home. And so they don't know, did he fall? How did she end up at home? Just fine. Um, And he's dead.
0: Mindy, so, didn't you recently just read a book about a person that ends up in the bottom of a ravine, too? Like, is this, I really do enjoy the whole survival thing. This is this is, your this theme? Is a, a It's an adventure. Adventure.
4: <laughs> it, it was an
3: adventure. Um, well, this one Finally, is, every like, book is an adventure book to me. Every book is an adventure book um, <laughs> to me. I have like three books in my adventure section, and they're like no. the westerns
4: <laughs> and um, pirates. Yeah. No, this one's definitely a mystery. It is set in Colorado. It is set in a tiny town and part of me wants to move to the tiny town, except that everybody is pretty judgmental about her. A lot of like slut shaming against her. Her boyfriend can do pretty much whatever he wants, but she is um, not judged as leniently and she's beautiful and perfect And that's um, maybe not uh, viewed as nicely as all American boy Mark um, can do no wrong. Uh, I grew up in a town with no red lights. It's that
0: small. And I can tell you that that is very, very accurate of how people are. (laughs)
4: Yeah. So he went off to Princeton on a swim scholarship. And so they don't know how on earth he could have not managed swimming down the ravine. He should have been fine. So it must be um, a negative. Some She must have had some sort of
2: involvement.
4: Yes. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So it's told from different perspectives. Many of them are not I'm not doing a good job. JL, do you want to, like, help? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, I mean, so it's told from everybody's perspective except for Tabby and Mark's. It can't be told from Mark's perspective because Mark's dead. And it's not told from Tabby's perspective because, I mean, you know, clearly – everybody knows more about tabby than tabby knows about herself um so i think that that is a real benefit to the book and a real drawback from the book the part that i think that's a benefit about it is it makes it really feel like it's a true crime documentary i feel like it makes it a little bit grittier because you're like getting the salacious details from like different people I listened to this book. Um, In fact, I listened to it this weekend because I saw you. We talked about it last week in a meeting. um, You were and you were complaining about the cover, Um, and I decided, oh, I'll read this book this weekend or listen to it. And maybe it would have been better if I was reading it like with my eyes, but listening to it, it was just a lot of different perspectives to keep up. Um, I don't know how many characters there were, but many. And I mean, it was just a lot. I'm not sad that I read it, but I think sometimes I wasn't a hundred percent or read it, listen to it, but I'm not sure that sometimes I wasn't a hundred percent clear on, wait, who is this? And it's harder when you're listening. And there were many times I was like rewinding and trying to figure stuff out, but I I do think it's harder when you're listening to do that.
0: Did they Um, not cast like different voices for the different perspectives or was it one person changing their voice?
4: I think it was a person changing their voice. Okay. I think so
0: because I we were talking in person the other day about um like Kent State and right. I listened to it and fell in love with it because the number of different voices that were in it. So I can see how in an audio book, if it's one person's voice and you don't have that luxury of flipping back to the first page of the chapter to like if you stop mid chapter to remember like who's telling that part of the story, you know.
2: I I think as I've gotten older too, like just keeping up with the different characters and what they're about and who they're with and that kind of stuff, it just gets tangled in my head more than I think it used to. Like even when I wrote, I read uh, watch us rise by Renee Watson and Ellen Hagan. I believe when I read that, I even made notes about who's who and who they like and what they're into because there were so many great characters that I felt like I needed to make sure that I really understood that. It turned out that there were two really main characters. But when I started, I was being introduced to all these people and I was like, I've got to get this right. So I think I would not do well with audiobook on something like that, where there's multiple perspectives, I would have to see it, be able to go back, maybe make some notes, that kind of thing. And from but a it library, sounds intriguing.
3: Yeah, from a librarian point of view, while it's definitely a compelling story, this is not something I would put in the hands of a struggling reader. Um, it's just too many different characters, I think, for a struggling reader to try to keep up with. Um, like Mindy said, slut shaming was absolutely a big part of this. And I really, really appreciated the way it wasn't swept under the rug. And it wasn't like gratuitous. It was like, she was calling it out. Um, and I appreciated the author doing that. I had one one complaint. And I think it's because I'm a government, uh, major, but, um, so somebody ended up in jail and here's the, my problem. They ended up having to stay in jail or in juvie, like until their trial, but in real life, if you're arrested (laughs) for a crime and this girl's rich, right? Like she hired powerhouse lawyer, she would post bond and be released. And I, I have, an objection to the fact that that reality wasn't real. Like you were
2: overruled by this author.
3: Yeah, she totally overruled me. (laughs) But I don't, I don't appreciate that the actual United States justice system wasn't represented in truth because I feel like, you know, this may be as much information as a lot of our kids have about the justice system and rich girls are going to get out on bond. So other than that, it was an overall definite recommend.
1: There's enough broken stuff to complain about in our justice system without making, right. it, probably. <laughs> right. Absolutely.
2: Well, Kylie, thank you so much for joining yeah. us. It was a pleasure to talk with you today. Uh, I think we all loved your book. We enjoyed, again, all the characters, the arc of the story. I am hanging on to that piece of yarn. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and just push Bennett it to my wall, wait for the next story to start. Um, uh, yes. And please let us know whenever you know what's going on, because I'm sure all of us would love an advanced reader's copy so we can find
0: out what's going on with Flora. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then Laura can um, tell you if you're following the laws or not. That's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Um, yes, uh, fingers crossed about more Flora books. I do have another book that's not officially announced yet. That's coming out soon. So you guys will all be on my list, um, when I have arcs to share and all of that. So I really so appreciate excited. it. Cool. Can you give us Thank any you.
3: info about it? Like any, any t- like teasers? Don't or provoke anything? her. I don't. <laughs>
4: We're yeah, excited yeah. to know there's going to be a book. We're thankful um, for another book.
1: I can't say too much, but I can say that it's a young adult kind of Indiana Jones slash <gasps> um, National Treasure type book. adventure. An so you know, adventure, exactly when You said adventure, I like perked right up. Um, no, a friend of mine told me that my brand as an author is taking characters that would have been played by like middle aged white men and turning them into seventeen year old girls instead. So, <laughs> no, uh, nice. Flora, the hard boiled detective, good. and we're doing Indiana Jones next. Um, so that'll be coming out hopefully in early twenty twenty three once I officially get to announce that i can share the title and all of that good stuff at that point
2: kylie you're gonna have to be at tla when you when you get that second book out
1: i really hope so i was supposed to go for your next and then it got canceled obviously last year so um really hopefully i get to come and um, hang out with you guys and say hi and all of that kind of stuff
2: yeah that would be fantastic
1: we miss the in-person thing too
0: yeah for sure yeah
1: same thank you so much for having me this is lovely i really appreciate it thank you All
2: right. Bye guys. Take care. All right. And that's the end of another episode of Unshushed Librarians. We hope you enjoyed it and can't wait to talk with you again next month when we celebrate pride.